Hello and welcome to the Human Up Podcast, episode number four. The mind is your house. Now, just to utter those words, I know for many listening, you might beg to differ. And that's okay. Uh, That's exactly what we're going to address today. Why it's, first of all, so important to understand. Second of all, because there is a lot of um, spiritualization of simply bad philosophy, bad logic, um, that doesn't understand the deeper code that is being used to even come up with any thought form, any idea, any stance. So, for example, a lot of the thing you come into uh, encounter when you are dealing with the current state of affairs and much of spirituality and wisdom, quote-unquote wisdom sharings and teachings, um, is you come across uh, the mindset that many people uh, may or may not even realize that they're, they're, they too hold as a, a, a stance, as an ideology, which is that the mind is bad and that um, you know, you'll hear things like, I'm a feeling person, not a thinking person. You'll hear all kinds of, you know, spiritualized ways of avoiding this very main point, which is the title and, and you know, guiding thought, insight of this entire sharing today. This mind phobia, this phobia of mind even if it's based on the observation that a lot of problems are mind-generated, the big mistake that so many make, and myself included until I got uh, wiser, <laughs> was that the mind is the problem. So you'll hear a lot of teachers uh, out there say, talking about how to get out of your mind and into your heart, how to stop thinking, how to... Um, you know, still your mind, silence the mind, um, get out of your head, all of these different phrases, which are based again on the observation that there is indeed mind-generated issues. But what malpractice to just jump to the conclusion that the mind is the problem? You know, that old saying, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Well, in this case, that that sweet baby is your brain, your mind. I don't. I didn't mean to say brain because I do not believe that the mind is a product of the brain. I think that a brain is an aspect of the mind. So we make the mistake of putting the, the mind inside of the head. And there is indeed a heady version of the mind, to use that word heady when somebody's in their head, or you might even say you're thinking too much or, um, you know, uh, any, any form of that way of seeing um, mental processes. Because the mental process has been so uh, characterized by so many pathologies and so much limitation in our ways of thinking that we make the grave mistake of throwing away the baby, which is mind, the uh, unbridled mind, the mind... Uh, that is beyond the confines of the very compartmentalizing and limiting code that has taken over the mind. So in previous uh, entries, I have indeed spoken quite a bit about the code, you know, and I use that analogy often of just like your computer, your computer is just a computer, it's just a machine, but it has, it needs a code, it needs a program to run it. And at the very, very base of that is d- the digital code, uh, the ones and zeros. So every form of code essentially goes back to binary code, for example. <clears throat> so, and actually that's, that's a, an incredible analogy for uh, our thinking. So computers and computer and digital code and computer logic and all of that is very much based upon our logic. 
it's not like we're starting from scratch with com- with a whole different logic with computers. Computers are a progression of us playing out what is already our governing logic, our governing code. And and the, to point out that binary code, it's even just hitting me right now. That's that's a perfect example of the deepest pathology of the mind, which leads us, it's so deep that it leads us to think that the mind is the problem, the head is the problem, thinking is the problem. But if we can understand that there is different or even higher forms of thinking, unbridled thinking, non-binary thinking, if you will, which you might notice in the culture, there is a deep uproar and upheaval of many beings who are tired of being put in those boxes. And so you hear about, you know, in the LGBTQ and those, that acronym goes on way longer than that, that there are a lot of people that don't want to be a he or a she. They want to be a they. And we refer to this kind of as a non-binary identification with your with your gender and your sexuality and all of that. Just one example there. <clears throat> so it's a very, um, you know, wonderful analogy, actually, because if we look at our, our deep, the deep code that our entire realm of thinking is re- requires to be running in the background in order for any of it to work, you'll start to observe that a lot of our thinking is binary. And what is that? Binary is division. D- binary is dissection. Binary is um, separation in a pathological way, in a way that is um, creating distinctness between two separate identities, things, objects, uh, that you know implies a, a hard, cold cut between things, men and women, gay and straight, black and white, Christian and Muslim. And we don't realize that even if we might we, we might see ourselves as not racist or not prejudiced or, you know, loving everybody, all colors, all races, all religions, but we may still be using that binary code. I'm going to refer to it today. That, that binary is in terms of making it, um, again, a, a, patho- a pathological practice, a deep pathological practice of the mind and minding that leads to the divisions, that leads to the either-or thinking, that leads to then our uh, all of our breakdowns uh, in culture and between, you know, nations and civilizations and, and, you know, all of the calamities that we're seeing now are fundamentally founded upon not just racism, you could say, like, for example, racism or, or sexism and give it the name, and that's on the symptom level. And we can easily say racism is the problem. Sexism is the problem. But if we can just take it one level deeper, and it's a one big level deeper, and look at it not as uh, the symptom, but what if we said sexism, racism, could they have the same code behind them? What's going on in that thinking that is generating this polarity. That's what I mean by many people are are making statements and and drawing conclusions um, and declarations about what's going on and what the problems are without having done their homework. Again, back to you know the head is the problem. You have to stop thinking and start feeling. These kinds of, uh, again, binary ways of thinking are dead giveaways of themselves. But when you are yourself in the binary thinking, you don't know how to identify that. You don't know that you just got hit with it. So when somebody says you have to stop thinking and start feeling, get out of your head and into your heart, it almost speaks to your binary addiction and you like that. You want, oh yes, thinking bad, heart feeling good. And then we don't realize what we're doing is that same old um, pattern of swinging the pendulum from plus to minus and, well, you know, detox to retox and, and uh, you know, positive to negative and all those different versions of that binary um, thinking. And it's a dead, once you develop the vision and ability to detect that and see that, it's a dead giveaway. You see it and it's like, oh my God, there it is, right? So you can imagine, and I've been practicing this um, for quite some time. And so I've got grown a great sensitivity and awareness of it. Um, I often refer to seeing the seeing, okay, or minding the mind, thinking about what the thinking is. In other words, taking that next step back 
to look at the looking <laughs> is something that is not being brought out very much. We're just looking and people are thinking and people are talking and people are sharing and people are teaching without the, this deeper awareness, this deeper understanding. And I'm not inventing it. Um, I'm doing ontology, science of being, uh, philosophy, the love of wisdom. These are the in their truest sense, in their, in their scientific sense. You know, they are the original sciences from which all science can even operate or work. Because what science is doing is using a code. And if you look at that, you understand that logic governs science. Because science wouldn't work without logic. So there's an obvious point, but it's it needs to be said because then we can go, oh, well, what's the science of logic? Well, that's ontology. That's because the logic is our being. In other words, and this is coming to the, the, the main theme, the title, your mind is your house. And if you don't know what the structure of that house is founded upon, in other words, the thoughts that create the feelings and your perceptions and your interpretations, and you then then you are essentially, I, I'm hesitating to use intense words like victim, because you may also have good feelings that come from that at times. Like positive thoughts feel better than negative thoughts, but they're founded upon the same structure, which as a whole is not freedom. It is not true, truly um, liber liberation, um, agency, freedom. So when you start to understand that every single moment is being governed by a code that makes it makes it possible for you to think in this, what I'm calling out right now, in no uncertain terms, a pathological way. And there's a whole scale of deeply, obviously pathological, sociopath kind of level of, of patho pathology, insanity, schizophrenia, all these different you know, things that we can point our finger at as symptoms and go, oh, that person has mental issues. I'm fine. See, look at me, look at my life. I'm a nice person. I do everything right. Um, you know, I make mistakes sometimes, but, you know, um, I'm basically a happy person and I, and I laugh and I'm good to other people. And so I'm fine, but those people aren't. And I do believe there's a part in, in many of us that almost enjoys having that person that's worse off than us so that we can go, oh, God, I'm glad I'm not them. But that's sort of a synthesized and artificial way of making yourself feel okay because the to face that you too might be as sane as you may be relative to the obviously insane. If we can step back from the whole picture and realize in the big picture sense the whole enchilada is insane and that I too am participating in an insane you know, the, let's just call it, let's just call it, uh, it's nothing personal. It's just that binary code is not conducive to sanity if we are to be coexisting with the big picture, nature, each other, other creatures, other beings. You know, we have to deal with the ecology. It's plainly clear right in front of our faces that we are obvious there's some deep malpractice going on because we can see the destruction and the pollution and the violence everywhere even to varying degrees so it's not just out there you might have had a moment this morning where you know encountering your partner or your child for example is a great example because children are more natural they haven't been uh, engendered and encoded so deeply into this binary either or way of thinking that us adults have gotten used to. So when they're just being themselves, how often does that rub us the wrong way? And, I, and I'm working on this deeply with my son as well, because he's a constant teacher for me. Because when a, when a child is not fitting into that, that, you know, you, they're not a master yet of of thinking like everyone else thinks, then they can be seem as a nuisance or an inconvenience. And you can say, Hey, you know, and you can, you can, um, quote unquote, discipline your child in a way that has a, a twinge of violence in it, in the sense of not hitting or yelling or screaming or cursing necessarily. Those are obvious versions. But what if we imply a subtle sense of, Hey, you're not okay. You know, what if we imply, you know, get with it, kid. 
those are little moments of of violence that that make that make the child feel less than less than uh, acceptable, less than loved, and that's a form of violence. It's a it's a an intrusion. Uh, um, I'm, I'm trying to find a word that's less intense than the word violence because we associate that so much with blood um, and killing, <clears throat> but it's a form of abuse. It's a form of um, condemnation, judgment, judgmentalness, um, that we may all be partaking in some form or another as we ourselves contend with this, this deep polarity in ourselves between, say, our more natural childlike aspects, which we have learned through our societal, uh, um, uh, conditioning to suppress and oppress or compartmentalize and inhibit. Okay, we learn how to inhibit our nature. So this is a product of coming into a culture that is governed by this deep pathological form of thinking, this either or thinking, this black and white thinking, this plus minus thinking, positive, negative, all of that. And we learn that. And from the time we're very young, we're just constantly being bombarded by it until we learn how to self-manage in a way that's not really healthy. It's more of an in- in- inhibition uh, suppression. It's more of a suppression than a healthy. Let's say that there's healthy inhibition, like a you know an appropriate inhibition. If someone doesn't have any inhibitions, it can be extremely you know, obnoxious and inappropriate uh, being around each other. There's an appropriate and healthy inhibition of ourselves. However, if that inhibition is more of a strong arming of one's feelings and one one's heart, this is what I mean by your house is your mind. When I say the mind, I'm talking about the deep mind. You're, and, and I'm not talking about your house, like your physical house at your physical address is the physical house for your physical body that you live inside and you sleep inside and eat inside and you dwell inside this house. But I'm not talking about the body per se. I'm talking about the being that you are. Now, this is where the lines start to get blurred because it sounds like I'm, I might be leaning into something that sounds woo-woo because it's not scientific. And, of course, we, all science can say is that the body is a product of, I mean, the, the, the sense of self, identity, consciousness, life is a product of the mechanical body. So, science has, in strong arms, to be honest, a mechanical, materialistic view of, of reality, again, Borrowing from that code, that deep code that allows us to think in such ways. So, so spirituality versus material science, um, or you know, um, materialism versus spiritualism, uh, is one of the great binary splits in our culture. So, and we might even feel that within ourselves. Like, I believe that there's a higher power, and and I love you know praying to angels, or I I, I believe in God, and and all this, but. Uh, just logically and what I see all around me is that things are just machines and everything's mechanical and it's just stuff, you know, it's just stuff that's made of smaller stuff and it's all just stuff colliding and collecting and gathering and organizing in different ways and shapes and forms. And what do you know? Life pops out of that, which in itself is a, you know, a grossly, you know, incomplete model to just say, well, the best that we can see is that there's stuff coming from the universe, from the Big Bang and countless exploding stars making all these elements that are colliding and, you know, life life came along and, and anyways, and we move on, you know, when anybody who's really, you know, in touch with deeper logic, even not being aware of it, a child could have a problem with that model and be like, wait, something's missing. How does life just come out of out of out of things colliding that doesn't that doesn't sit right right but we just go yeah yeah but it's the best model we got so just just you know what I mean? <laughs> because again there's that binary thinking we have to it has to be one or the other it's is it matter and then and then consciousness or is it consciousness and then matter boom there you have it so you know we're 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 thinking of the body again as a kind of mechanical m- machine thing that's generating the illusion honestly is all could be seen as we talk about somebody seeing things that aren't there is hallucinating but the the same mentality sh- would would imply then that 
to think that there's even a being there is an illusion because there is no there is no being there is no consciousness it's just a bunch of chain reactions that create the appearance of animated beings that think that they are in control. It brings to mind um, the the TV show on HBO Westworld, where they've got these robots that are so real, and and there you can do anything to these robots and not feel bad. You can kill them, you can shoot them, and you don't have to feel bad because why? They're just things. They're just objects. But then of course that line starts to blur, and these robots start to become, they start to rebel. I don't want to give too much about away about it, but. You know, it, it serves the point here hugely because what makes us think we are alive and what does it mean to even be alive? What, who, who is it that thinks she is alive or thinks that she is a being? So in other words, we just, we just come into this world. We don't have any of these ideas. We learn them, by the way. When we learn these ideas like, oh, I'm a body, I'm a person, and you learn the ideas like, oh my gosh, I can perish, I can die. And you start to get those ideas, oh my gosh, mom and dad could die, brother and sister can die, people I love can be here and then gone, you know, and and we get these ideas and we are interpreting all of this through our binary pathological either or thinking, which another big binary is life and death. So death becomes the enemy of life, and we want to identify with life, life good, death bad. And we start to, and then that's like, let's just make that the kind of core, deep belief, which you feel in your body. You feel it emotionally and viscerally. And what, what makes us of value, say, like a person more than a robot? And for some, a person more than animals. We think that animals, some, some people think that animals just don't feel like we do. So it's okay to catch a fish and eat it because it doesn't have emotions or it doesn't think it's not aware, it's not smart. Okay, so think about how we have this kind of scale of valuing some things and not. And of course, we want to value life. It's wrong to kill a person. But, you know, if you need the meat from that cow, you can kill that cow. It's fine. You know, so and who decides where that line is? And of course, there's all kinds of collisions there too with vegans who are saying it's not right to use any animal products. And you have people saying, well, no, no, I get, I get not killing any animals, but I can use honey. Come on, I can have butter. I can have cheese, you know, and, you know, and then you've got all these different collisions of ideologies and ideas. But what's governing all of that again is the polarizing of binary code thinking is what I'm calling it today. And I'm I'm really enjoying kind of um, running on that, on that theme, because I was speaking about the computers and it just hit me that, you know, the binary code that governs the computers is not, um, didn't start with computers. It started with us. <laughs> We're already in binary thinking and it's just spilled into the physical techno technological computer age. Um, and actually the binary code started with the loom. Um, I believe back in the 1800s or, or some, sometime, uh, before the 1900s, where they, they figured out the loom was the first kind of binary code um, industrial machine that would weave um, threads together to make fabrics and stuff. And so that was the birth of the computer, amazing enough. So I'm just just making that link there so you can see that it it's coming out of our thinking. But then we've got all of these different ways of... of, of uh, <clears throat> of trying to divide right and wrong, another huge binary. Where's the line between right and wrong and pro-choice and pro-life and, and all of these different ways it all comes down. It's all governed. You know, there's all these varying ways to look at it. And yet it's all governed by the same fundamental way of thinking that if we're not aware of it, then it's not only our house, it's our prison. Because it, it, it literally governs and informs every single interpretation, every single decision that comes from that interpretation and accompanying perception and then feeling, back to that, that, that uh, theme of feeling that I was touching on a moment ago, when we feel something, that's when it matters. That's what I was trying to say is that between the, uh, well, computer doesn't feel, it's just thinking, so we can kill them. That's Westworld. It doesn't feel, it doesn't actually have feelings. We can simulate that it thinks it has feelings. And, you know, some of them will, will you can program to have pain and all this and emotions or seem to have emotions. But then you can just say freeze all motor functions or shut down the emotional response and it'll just do that. And it's a computer again. And you go, okay, it's just a computer. But 
the 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 everything that is thought perceived is felt you know if you have a perception it's not you don't have to look far for this by the way if you're watching a movie and the movie is scary you have the emotion the feeling in your body if you're watching a movie and the music is moving and the scene is sad and you start to cry you're having the feeling the experience and and it's this quality that we go that's 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 what it means to be human to feel and we always talk about i want i don't want this feeling to go away oh that was the worst feeling we're always we're always putting feelings at a really high place in terms of what matters to us. That makes me feel good. I want that. That makes me feel bad. Don't want that. But then we become a slave to the, the, the dangling carrot of the good feeling and running from the specter of bad feelings. And we become, again, enslaved, imprisoned to our own thinking. And we literally don't know how to be outside of that prison until we can begin to take that next step back that I'm asking you to do now with me, to see the seeing, to think about or think on the thinking. Do some, some deep ontology, deep logic with me, and let's the deepest logic can see the logic that we're using. Logic has to look at logic, it has to, has to see has to be logical about logic. And that's all I'm asking. It's actually a very logical thing to do. When you realize, though, that we're not doing this, not largely, and I never, never like to make blanket statements, but safe to say that largely in every realm from spirituality to religion to science and any other realm of life, most of us are not doing this. So what does that mean? That means that everything we perceive, we're taking at face value. We're not going, well, this is what I'm perceiving, but it might be inaccurate or incomplete. This other person's perception is different than mine. That's all we can see. This is my reality. Well, that person's reality is different. And since we cannot dislodge ourselves from our own lens of interpretation, that other out there becomes an object of opposition. Again, a process of um, progression of binary thinking that creates that that and the other person instead of becoming a thou another just like myself which is the deep code of not just christianity but all great religions and all cultures have some form like in the african ubuntu means i am because you are i am because thou art or, you know, the golden rule, treat others as you yourself would want to be treated. And that's like a rule that it's not about following the rule. It's about recognizing this the deeper code of nature where everything co-arises, everything coexists in harmony. And one might say, well, when that lion's taking out that gazelle, that's mean, right? We can see that, but we're just projecting our way of thinking. It's not an act of meanness, in actuality, but we can see that and go, oh, I don't like that. And we, and we, a part of us becomes the gazelle and a part of us becomes the lion. And there's another polarity, another binary um, product, you know, lion bad, gazelle good, or maybe for some people's <laughs> lion good, gazelle bad, or, you know, gazelle food. Um, so I'm just trying to help you because if, if we don't, if we don't even know that that's going on, if we don't even know that there's an interpretation process that is made possible by this, this deep code, then we can only be a slave to it, imprisoned by it. You know, so our house, when I say the house, I'm saying the house of your being. Now, your being is not your body. Your being, and I don't even want to say that your being is your mind, but your being is that which is experiencing all, all that you are experiencing. Your being is housed within the code that you partake in. And we can connect the dot here to the ancient biblical story of Adam and Eve and the symbology there. If we kind of take what I'm saying now and look at that as the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, plus and minus binary code. What if we just take away the, the metaphorical imagery and just look at it, the, the commandment of reality, I'm going to use instead of God, 
is, hey, if you, if you use binary code, if you partake of that fruit, if you stay there, if that's where the way you give your being and your mind and your consciousness to that code, you will suffer. It is in self-condemnation. It's not that God was shaking his finger saying, you know, you guys better obey my rules, obey daddy's rules. And if you break them, I'm going to kick you out. So you better do what I say, which is how we all hear it at first, you know, and then it's this, this, the evil snake of temptation. Well, there's a, there is a, uh, that, that snake is the symbology of the temptation of, wow, the illusory sense of control. So it's, that's the original mind control is the control of the mind, which is to say the control of reality. Because if you get that, then minding is how you can, uh, you know, change your perception and your perception is your experience and experience is reality. Well, if I, if I start to strong arm that and start to take over that, I'm, I'm being as God instead of imagine it like kids in the sandbox and you forget you're in a sandbox. The kids just in their world playing in their sandbox in their world and they forget that there's a world above them, behind them, around them. And you're just in that sandbox. Well, humans, you know, have been in that sandbox for a very long time. And when you're comfy and cozy in that sandbox, it's scary to put down your toys and turn around and look at what's what's around you. In other words, there's a there's a a, a call to all of us to grow up. Now we're we're being called to grow up out of our adolescent childlike, you know, <clears throat> self created. It's like playing make believe and forgetting that it's make believe, and now we're in like these hellish situations and and. The, the goal is to try to create a little pocket for yourself where you are safe uh, from other people and, you know, and now the, it's, hard to, it's harder and harder for anybody to feel safe anywhere because it feels like there's danger everywhere. Um, and just one example there is like, for example, if, if we destroy the environment or if we throw the, the climate out of balance enough, nobody's going to be... You know, people are going to be experiencing drought, famine, fires, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, uh, pollution, um, overheating, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, so no one's safe there. Or say, you know, all the great powers decide that the, that a nuclear war is where it's at and we, anybody anywhere can be hit, you know, by that. And I mean, it's... it's we're, we're realizing that we're not safe anywhere. So in other words, like it or not, as much as maybe finding a little pocket for ourselves, a little corner of the earth to, to call our own, and you might succeed in that, and it might give you the temporary sense of being kind of, you know, removed from everyone else. The fact of the matter is just that very mindset of needing to do that is already an unsafe feeling. The only true safety is to find a safety so badass that you could feel it anywhere. And what's that? Well, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, your house is your mind. But if the house is a prison, you don't feel safe. But if we can drop that prison, leave that sandbox, stop partaking of that fruit, and step into uh, this higher intelligence that we are capable of, now we've evolved to a stage now humanity and there's been a massive acceleration the last few thousand years and if we look at the big picture humans have only been here for a very very tiny portion of the history of the planet and then you know just these last two thousand years is a little blink of an eye really so things are happening very fast but we're at a point now where it's it's time to um wise up and snap out of it and that's a very intense thing to face and it's what we're all facing but if we don't face it we continue to live in this house that is a prison and we can't leave this house and we take this house wherever we go and we might relocate our physical bodies from one town to another town you might hate the city and you move out to the country or vice versa but you bring your house with you you bring your your home with you 
And for so many of us, that home doesn't feel like home at all. And when you don't feel that, what's home? Home is to be free and liberated from all of those containers and, and, and structures and thought forms that we have generated and built up from the time we were kids about ourselves, our identities, our ways of interpreting and seeing the world. And it sounds like a really big task to ask us to, to undo all of that. But it's not so much an undoing as much as an upgrading, like a, a liberating, because, there, I mean, there is a death. There is a deconstruction. There is. And, and I feel like I have to apologize for that, but it's a very, it's very good news. You know, the, sometimes the best news in a way can be not the best news, not what you want to hear, but there is a deconstruction. There is a reason why Jesus said, for example, unless you die, you can't be born again. And in Zen, you know, die before you die. And there's a number of echoes across the global wisdom teachings that, that speak to this this fundamental and even scientific principle. When I use the word scientific, I mean logic, deep logic. It's it's a principle of we cannot be free from our prison house and come to our true home without a deep letting go, a deep shedding, a deep deprogramming, reprogramming, rising in order to rise into the butterfly you're not a caterpillar anymore but the caterpillar isn't actually dying it's it, the identity of the caterpillar is gone and when when it's a butterfly but there is a there is a a continuum a continuity from from caterpillar to butterfly so we humans are in are are in this process a continuum continual process that is our our lifeline, our, our our faith, our safety in all of this to make this what is essentially a great transformation, a great crossing that is indeed scary because we have to leave that sandbox that's gotten so from we've gotten so familiar with it. We that that prison though it's a prison has been our home, and and our being doesn't know doesn't remember after a certain while, it seems like, ironically, home is what becomes foreign. And what is home? Home is to be in what I call source, to be in the higher code, to be free of that binary code, is to be in the source code, and the, the, the unum pluribus code, to use the Latin, pluribus is many, and unum is infinite one. And so, in many one, e pluribus unum, is one way of, of speaking of this higher code, which does not pit diversity against unity like our binary code thinking does. You know, pluribus versus unum. It's either or, either we're all one or we're all different, but we can't be different and one. Well, that is that conclusion is a product of our thinking, our binary thinking. So imagine of being free from that binary thinking, pluribus unum, diversity, rich diversity and difference in our ways of being in this world. And yet a love so big, so grand, so infinite that it can hold all that difference in harmony, in love, in peace, in caring, you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, that song, <laughs> though it may seem cheesy to us now, the age of Aquarius, you know, harmony and understanding, truth and love abounding and all the, whatever the lyrics are, you know, it, it doesn't have to be this, this kind of like cheesy hippie thing. Uh, you know, it can be, it can be the most badass thing that's ever happened on planet earth. Imagine us being able to be so different from each other and we can have our, you know, our heavy metal and, and, and we can have our rap and we can have our, I'm just using music as a, as an analogy and we can have, you know, all these different forms of being that are very, very different. And some people love that. And some people just, I just like classical, you know, I like, you know, I like new age. I like this, I like that. And some of us like a whole bunch, a whole wide spectrum of it. We can go into all these different places, but, but it's all music, you know, we're all, we're all together in music and love, loving each other really is, you know, not a matter of just saying, you know, we just got to love each other, man. We just got to be, you know, it's still, we're all one, man. You know, it's not enough to say that, even though it's true. Yes. But it's not enough to say that. We have to see what's, what's interfering that, with that because anybody can say all you need is love, you know, and come together. You know, and I, and I love the Beatles. I love John Lennon, you know, 
but I'm tired of imagining all the people living for today. We need to go beyond imagining now because imagining isn't working. What we have to do is get more badass and become more warriors of consciousness in the sense of not violent warriors, but warriors in terms of um, wokeness, you know, being super duper woke about our own thinking and our own code, um, our own coding, our minding our minds and seeing our seeing and starting to, um, in a healthy sense, dissociate from the lens that we've called our home the mind that we've called our home for so long, if we don't know how to detach from that, we can only be reactionary. We can only be a, 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 another domino in a chain reaction. There is no agency, in other words. If you don't know that you have a lens, and that lens is your mind, and your mind is your code, and that code is something that we're all sharing deep, and it's old, and it's had us captive for so long, and we can't even say that or see that, then you can talk about awakening till you're blue in the face. You can talk about enlightenment, healing, wisdom, love, stop thinking, positive thinking, all these different forms, and and you're just going to be contributing to the pile of fragments and shards of of discoherent perspectives and opinions that have no clout or, or or validity really in the big picture except for that it might speak to a certain demographic and you can put some money in your pocket and get a bestseller because you're doing what you know you're just doing what you need to do to get to the next block on the game board as I spoke deeply on in the last episode you know you're just getting to the next game board if we have to be honest with ourselves you know are we are we strong arming? Are we using spirituality and using wisdom just like any other resource to our own ends? Is it enough for us that we're just, you know, making people happy right now in this moment? Or is there something more badass that needs to happen? Something where, and I know you know this is true, if you really feel into it, you can see and sense the futility of where things are at right now in all of our forms of, of um, trying to better ourselves, Right. It's a form of activism, self-activism, activism on oneself and one's own life, which is still addressing the, the symptoms with the same code of thinking that generated those symptoms to begin with, thereby, even though the intention is good to get better, to get healthier, to get happier, to, you know, get more peaceful or whatever it might be, like the mindfulness movement stuff, you are, if you're not super woke about it and aware of your code, you're going to be uh, you know, really pouring more gasoline into that, um, that engine that's burning itself out. And that's depicted in, in everything in our culture. All so much, most of our technology seems to have that mentality. So even our technology is picturing it, you know, the cars, you fill a tank of gas, it creates pollution, but oh, well. And even if it's an electric car, you're taking that and you're grabbing that electricity from something that's creating pollution also. And even if you use solar, you know, how what's operating those solar, you know, if we just look at, if we just look at the big picture and we step back, the whole thing is borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, which is an unsustainable, you know, uh, self-imploding mechanism on a global scale that's generated again by this binary code we have to take it we have to take in order and we have to use and all of that so that we see the destruction of nature and 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 the the unfairness of the distribution of wealth and all of the ways that that it appears it, we can point our finger at any one of those things but guys it's time to wise up and see that they're all connected to the same exact generating code and that's where it comes home to each one of us home and your home is your mind and your lens. And if your lens is governed by this and you don't know it, you're not home. You're in prison. And you will be running and running and running away. But you can't get away from yourself. Run away from yourself, I think the lyrics are, from Bob Marley. You know, that guy had a lot of wisdom <clears throat> coming through. But that's a very, that's what I'm saying here, you know. But we have to emanci emancipate ourselves from mental slavery. There's another big chunk of wisdom from from Bob. You know, so what, that's what I'm speaking to. It's mental slavery, but it's not just mental slavery in the form of, let's say, Christianity, or in the form of atheism, or the form. Of, it's not any one of them. This is really good news. This is the good news. There's no one to point the finger at. 
because it's not any of those structures that have been built upon the foundation of our binary thinking. It's the binary thinking itself, the objectifying, dividing, fragmenting, compartmentalizing, discoherent making, incoherent making code that we're using that is being outpictured in all of the pathologies that are appearing from the personal to the global levels. So this is amazing. This means that, well, okay, imagine if this awareness starts to spread to everybody and everybody starts to look at the woman in the mirror, the man in the mirror in this sense of, of stepping back from your lens and stepping back from your, your foundational code and, and going, Oh my God. And in that we begin to, to go through the graceful transformation that is required that will then be outpictured in myriad ways in all the ways that we want to see change. But we're not going to be doing it with all of the strength we can muster up and all of the determination we can muster up to go after the bad guys and tackle those problems out there in the world and go for it, even though the intention is, is so beautiful. It's like, oh, that is so awesome of you to be willing to sacrifice yourself for this cause and to make it better. But if you are burning all of that good intention and energy on something that's not doing much more than buying us time and fighting the current that's moving the opposite direction, then we're exhausting ourselves with that really good intention. It's, it's, I'm not putting down the activists, the activists. I'm trying to help the activists who are the ones who are willing to put aside their selfish desires to go for fixing the problems. I'm not, I am celebrating you. What I'm suggesting is that perhaps that isn't the way that we go about that may not be the best way to shift the world. It doesn't mean you don't go out there and feed the hungry. It doesn't mean you don't go out there and stop child trafficking. It doesn't mean you don't, we're not, it doesn't mean we're stopping what we're doing. But again, it's where we're coming from. It's the house we're living in. What's Because if we're not aware of it, if we don't realize that these problems are all connected by this deep foundational code, where again, we're pouring more fuel on the fire that we're trying to put out. And so there's a deeper intelligence is what I'm trying to get to. The butterfly version of the human has, is operating at an intelligence, uh, a coherence level that is superior to the caterpillar level of human consciousness that we've all been in for so long. And it's so familiar that we don't know how to see it because it's what allows us to see everything. It is our lens and, the, and then our lens is our house. And so we just, we live in it. But once we start to dislodge our, our being from the confines of that, of that limited lens, we uh, are incapable of really coming up with that higher intelligence solution that like everything in technology that advances it, what, it uses less energy, it creates less pollution. Um, it has less moving parts. It becomes lighter. It becomes thinner. It becomes right. You see that the, 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 there's a, a natural movement towards the simplification and the the more efficient use of energy. Where it's almost we're um, driven to become more like nature. You know, like our solar panels are trying to imitate the leaves of a tree in a way. You know, those leaves on a tree are solar panels, and what they're collecting you know, per square inch is going to be so much more efficient. So what I'm, what I'm saying is that it's like our technology wants to advance towards nature, towards the natural intelligence, but it's thwarted and inhibited and, and held back by our addiction to this objectifying binary way of thinking that governs our science and technology hugely. And we have to free our mind technology in order to free technology. Right? We've got to, we have to graduate from our binary stage. You know, 
So that's how I'm choosing to say it today. And, and I hope there's many, many more ways that'll come through. I'm sure there will be. But today I really wanted to convey that primary idea for the individual listener. Listen, you're, you can be sitting there and buying into the automatic perception. I am a person that has a body that's alive right now that needs food and air and water you know, needs these ingredients to stay alive. And here I am, and I just need to make sure that I keep making those things happen and that I put my body in a place that I like. And I want to like the, you know, the surroundings and I want to like the people that are around me. And I'm going to try to seek out the things I like and not the things I don't like. And, and that's totally normal. You know, we're just, we're, we're trying to get to what we want and away from what we don't want. But we're, uh, we're enslaved to that because we're, we're, in the meantime, so used to that prison form of thinking that we don't we don't realize that we're we are now you can't be happy anywhere. You can be happier in some places than other places. But even that happier doesn't hold a candle to the sunshine of what I'm speaking to, of speaking from, speaking for which is this liberated mind space, a mind space that is not a prison. But that takes work, guys. I mean, and if, and if there's something that's worthy of working on day and night, it's this. It's exactly what I'm speaking of. It's seeing your seeing, minding your minding, getting wise to the deeper code of what's going on in your consciousness and being able to see that in action. Because if we don't, it's behind our eyes to put it that way, and we, so we don't know it's there, we're driven by it. And on the deepest level of our being, the, the place where bliss can be felt, real bliss, is imagine it like a fight, flight, and freeze response. Imagine that most humans are in a freeze response. On the deepest level, our beings are coiled and curled and, and buried in, in the cocoon of the protective outer shell that we needed to create and build up in order to live in this world and deal with each other and deal with quote unquote reality as we see it. But ironically, that cocoon is, has encased us and anesthetized us to reality as it is. And that's painful. And that's a prison. So the cocoon, it's time to shed the cocoon and it's not to curse the cocoon. It's, you know, the cocoon is a necessary stage for the cultivation of the, uh, and, and birthing and growing of the butterfly. So think of it in that analogy. We've been, we've created this cocoon, but the cocoon to stay in the cocoon is dysfunctional now. And that's what we're seeing. So the, the, the way that we can get out of the cocoon is see the cocoon, start to see, see, what keeps us in that and let's graduate from it. And each of, if each of us takes full responsibility for that, and if we're teaching others, we're putting first things first. Yoga is great, guys. I love yoga. I teach it. Yoga is great. Meditation is great. Mindfulness practices are great. You know, all these different modalities and systems that help us feel better are great. Keep them going. Don't stop, but upgrade them and put first things first because Otherwise, all of those great things that we're offering are just coddling us and holding us in the same place and making us feel better. It's like a, you know, I call it the hot tub principle. I, I realized my yoga class, I was calling it a hot tub yoga class because, you know, you're coming to the class and, and I'm, I guarantee you're going to feel better at the end. You're going to come in and you're going to just bask in the good, uh, you know, the, the, the dance massage that, that we go through and you're going to breathe deep and you're going to let, care of, let go of your cares and worries and you are going to leave that yoga room feeling so high but then you're just going to go back. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. And, and what that'll do is it'll make you feel better for most of the rest of the day or a couple of days, and then you're going to need it again. Just like you need the hot, like, like you go into a hot tub and your hot tub helps you relax and you put on the jets and it's like, oh, it feels so good. And you get out and you're like, I'm so relaxed. Yay. This is what life's about. And then next day you're like, oh God, I need a hot tub. You know, well, what if we could get to that place again? We're not trying to get rid of hot tubs. <laughs> Keep your hot tubs keep your yoga, keep your massage, keep all of it. But what would happen to all of it if we got down to the real culprit, the real perpetrator of our sense of peace and relaxation, our deep relaxation, our bliss? What's really violating our bliss? 
And that's what I, and, and ironically, it's our own home. It's our own house is our, is our prison and our house is our mind and our mind is our code. And we are, we've been partaking of that fruit for a very long time. So it's hard to let it go. We're addicted to it. We're so addicted to it. It's just, it's how we operate. We don't even know that there's an addiction. That's how deep it is. It's just literally the ground floor from which we operate and build. So we're talking about getting to the ground floor here. That's some serious badass stuff, guys. Like we can get to that level, like together and support each other and start to see on that level. I bet you, I bet you there'll be a lot less noise really quick. I was, uh, I had a gathering the other night, you know, that, uh, of, of like-minded people, but there was a sense of, of colliding, um, voices now, this is something I'm sensitive to, other people aren't, trying to validate their perspectives, trying to, and even though everything that everyone was saying was right and good and positive and, and awesome, there's a sense of needing to validate oneself. I'm sure you've experienced this before too, where everyone's wanting to, yeah, and we're trying to validate, validate ourselves on each other. And even though I wanted to participate in the conversation, I opted to stay more silent for most of the night and just listen and witness, you know, because I realized a lot of what we're saying again is we're missing this foundational point. And once we get that and we start to discuss on that level, I know the discourse of, of dialogue will change and shift deeply because right now what we have is dual monologues. Dual monologue is not dialogue. It's a duel of minds. And even if we're agreeing, it's still, it's still different, you know, cocoons, <laughs> you know, talking at each other, taking turns talking is not what dialogue is. Dialogue is deep listening, which we can't do if we are embedded within our lens and our lens embedded within us, which is not just the lens of the eyes, it's the lens of the being, the lens of the eyes and the ears and the everything that you experience and feel and think, perceive. So we can't have dialogue without this getting this main point. So I guess in the end, what I'm saying is that I'm asking you to leave your house. <laughs> I'm asking you to, to step out of your house, to the, the, the house that has been your quote unquote home for a long time, because it never was home. Home is way more expansive and free and safe. Then the container, the cocoon, the sandbox, the lens that we've learned to create and generate and become. So this is a very, very exciting prospect here. And as these meditations develop over the coming months and years, um, and if you really follow them, you'll start to, you'll start to connect the dots and it's the, it's in that ability to start to see outside of the boxes, outside of the box, outside of the lens, outside of that house that you're so used to. That's where you get the unum, the, the infinite unifying power that allows us to even connect anything at all. Every little thing. When I say I am a man, I'm doing nothing more than connecting four separate pieces together, but they would not be able to make sense if they were not tapping some deeper resource, the unum, in order for it to make sense, in order for it to, for it to be coherent. So I'm asking you to really step out of the statements and see you know, the, the, the ideas, the statements, the ideologies altogether, the ideological space. And, whoa, bask, that's where we bask in the unum <clears throat> with potential, potential infinite connectability, interconnectability, infinite sense, ostensibly, if we are to allow ourselves to unplug from what's grown so familiar. And that's our home. Unum is our home, or is our real home. The infinite is our real home. Outside of these scary ideas of life versus death, these scary ideas of linear time, you know, that haunt us our entire life long, these ideas that are, can only be generated by the, by the fruit of binary code.
the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so to speak, plus and minus, either or, is the generator of some pretty, pretty scary stuff that we have to contend with and maybe not on a conscious level because what most people are conscious of are like several layers up from that deep stuff um, just the the daily what do I have to deal with right now and where our lives are expended upon this kind of what do I have to do to get to the next moment what do I have to do to get to the next day the next week the next month how do what do I have to do to feel good what do I have to do to not feel bad what is it the object of my affection right now is it a person is it a thing it is it accomplishment is it a, this is it getting is it healing is it getting better? Is it quitting alcohol? Is it that, that, that? All these things that we symptomatically focus on on the surface level, but we don't realize we're not getting down to the core issue. So once we tackle this one thing and it's another thing and you tackle that thing, it's another thing. And, and we think on some level that if we just do that enough, eventually everything will be okay and then we'll be fine. But all we're doing is strengthening that feeling of I got to get there. And that's that feeling of I got to get there does not feel like home. Right? Because if you're thinking, I got to get there, I got to get, I got get there, you're also saying, I'm not there, I'm not there, I'm not there, I'm not here, I'm not present. So we have to be able to take those steps back and see the deeper mantras, like in, in acting, they call it the subtext. You know, you've got your actual line that the, 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 um, the actor is reading, you know, and she, the, the one woman is saying to her, her boyfriend, she's like, no, let's not go to the movie, I don't even care. But the subtext is, I want you to tell me that you want to go to the movie. You know, I don't want to have to ask you. I want, so that's the subtext, right? And so I, I find that a very useful analogy because a lot of what we're doing has a subtext and a sub-subtext and a sub-subtext. And you go down a few layers, you can go, oh my God, <laughs> what's this mantra, this deep mantra that I'm repeating again and again? I'm not there. I'm not there. I'm not there. How many of the things that we're doing are springboarding off of that without us even realizing because we don't know how to stop long enough to go, wait a second. No, I'm not going to be enslaved to that thought form anymore. It grabs us. And so that's not freedom. So we may think we're being free to be able to choose the life that we want, but what if what we're choosing, what we think we want is not even chosen by us, you know? So it's big stuff. It's big stuff that I'm, I'm, I'm holding back my laughter right now because it's, it's also so exciting because we can just stay there together and help each other, support each other, keep doing that. Let's take those steps back. You know what I mean? And not be pointing the finger at each other and trying to fix each other in the ways that we do when we're trying to fix ourselves on the symptom level. We're just going to be doing that with others too. We always act out externally on others what we're doing to ourselves. But can you imagine if we're all taking that deep, deep responsibility? We're not going to need to do that anymore because we realize that, that what we're tapping into is so powerful. This deeper intelligence, this unum intelligence is so big and so powerful that it doesn't need to grapple and engage on the surface level that everyone's partaking on. Sometimes the Buddha is silent and we are all Buddhas becoming. The, we're all Buddha flies. That's the butterfly human is the Buddha fly. And so it's, a, it's an exciting time where if you can hear what I'm saying, you don't need to get anybody to agree with you. Maybe share this podcast with them. Maybe if they seem like open to it. But right now, all you need to do is get what I'm saying because you get it. You can free yourself from your house, from your prison house without anyone agreeing to it. Of course, it'd be nice if everybody was like, yeah, let's do this. But the first of us kind of have to be brave enough to do it ourselves. But when you get the deep science, the deep logic, that is your safety net. You know, that it's it feels scary to stand away from the crowd. It feels scary to not do what everyone else is doing. But when you remember that unum has got you, source has got you, the same thing as making your heart beat and your breath breathe, whether you're thinking about it or not, or feeling happy or sad or whatever, you're still held and supported. And you start to fall into that foundation, that's your home. And it's got you. You know, and you don't, and so much of the antics and what I call them frantics, you know, frantic antics are... The, all of the things that we do, and we're frantically trying to get better, but being frantic isn't better. You know, we got to come from this calm, this deep place. It doesn't mean it's. It doesn't mean it's like this flaccid, like nothing affects me, spiritual guy thing that people think it is. It can be deeply excited and, and exuberant and lighthearted and fun, and sexy. It doesn't have to be all of this. This like 
pretentious spirituality. I'm so enlightened, nothing affects me, blah, 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 kind of thing. You don't have to pretend, in other words. When you get the science, you get the source code, you don't have to pretend. You know, you're just, you're it, you be it, right? So what a huge relief. You go back a couple episodes, The Stress of Spirituality is the name of it. I believe it's episode two. It speaks to that very point, you know, because if you're not getting the, if you're not getting the source code here and you're not seeing, as I recalled it in the last episode, the matrix that, that governs our house, that governs, uh, that has, uh, holds us captive, then we can't pretend to be, you know, calm. You can't. You're just going to be stressed. And all of the things that we do to get better is almost like an outpicturing of that stress. So your yoga practice becomes subtly stressful and your mindfulness practice becomes stressful. And then when you become a spiritual teacher, a leader, you've really become stressed because now you have to really be so and so and so and so. Oh, you're you're a mindfulness leader? Wow, you must be so enlightened. And so now what do you have to do to keep up that facade? And And on and on. Right, but the authentic mindfulness is to be mindful, is to be full of the mind liberated from the mind less, the mind, the anti mind. So don't get out of your head. I mean, get out of your head, you know, but into your mind. Free your mind from your head. Let's put it that way. And don't create this binary, you know, dualism of the head versus the heart. And you got to get out of the head and into the heart, out of thinking and into feeling. Stop doing that. See it for what it is. It's a dead giveaway. It's another polarity. You have people who are teaching about non-duality and then they'll say that in the next sentence. And it's like, do you really understand non-duality? Because you just demonstrated that you're thinking in duality, right? So it takes some serious, continuous heads-upness to stay on top of this, because if we're not heads up, we default into the binary. We default into that dualism. We default into that that prison. So it takes a serious and continuous practice of staying woke. So woke is not sometimes woke. Woke is, by definition, continuous. And when we lose it, we don't punish ourselves. We go, dang, well, this is a really this is a really big task, you know. But we can do it now, and we can do it. It does take some time, but it's also relatively quick. Once you get once you get the, the the sense of what it's really about, and you start to heal your mind from your from your head, <laughs> your previous head. You know, you start to heal your home from your house. Uh, so, obviously, I could go on for quite some time, but I I feel that that's a nice full. Um, addressing of the issue I wanted to speak to today. Your, your mind is your house. Your mind is your home. So let's, let's, get, let's mind our minds. That's the only way to be mindful is to mind our minds and be able to take that step back. And that's where stillness and peace and harmony and bliss really live. And it's right here. It was always right here. So thank you so much for listening. Um, and we'll see you next time. Episode 5, whatever it may be. Adios.